This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. I want to give you a brief introduction to the three-week sermon series that we're starting. Actually, it's a four-week sermon series that started in October, but I'll, I'll explain that to you. So let me ask the question, who counts? Who matters? Who counts for good in the common good of our society? Those are the questions that are being raised in bioethics and in law, especially in this country. And it's, the questions are difficult and they're fraught with controversy because as a uh, scholar named O. Carter Sneed, a law professor at Notre Dame, argues in his book, What It Means to Be Human, we have different visions of identity and human flourishing. So uh, I'm going to give you a really simplified summary of that book in about 90 seconds. So Sneed argues that the reigning vision for human flourishing and identity is what people have called expressive individualism, which I summarize really simply and crudely as you do you and I do me, and we hope we can get along and leave each other alone. It is what the philosopher Charles Taylor called a view of flourishing based on I am what I myself choose to be. Now, there are some truths to this. It's not completely wrong, but it leads to what Sneed and others call a view of life in which we live life as unencumbered selves. I'm not encumbered by the burdens of others, especially people who are particularly vulnerable and weak. And we reject in this worldview unchosen obligations. I only pick up the obligations that I choose. Sneed argues there's an older view rooted in scripture, Jewish, Christian tradition, that begins not with individualism, but begins with mutual vulnerability and dependence. We entered the world very vulnerable, very dependent. People needed to care for us. They needed to feed us for a long time, more than any other mammal. We need lots of care. We will exit the world, most of us, very vulnerable and very dependent. And so, according to this worldview, when you see an ultrasound of an unborn child, you are seeing what you once were. When you see an infant, you are seeing what you want, once were. When you see somebody who is near death and old and frail and dying, you're seeing what many of us will become. And in between, when we're wounded, when we're injured, when we're sick, or if there's persons with disabilities, we're also seeing that's not foreign to us because we also know that we have, we live on a scale of disabilities and we have weaknesses and we have sicknesses and we have illnesses. Now that's not to imply that the people in this second worldview have always practiced this perfectly or even well at times. Tomorrow we're celebrating the national holiday for Martin Luther King Jr. who was a conscience to this nation, a voice to this nation to remind us that many of us in the church were not practicing what we said we preached, hence the civil rights movement, the need for that. So in the next three weeks, we're going to explore this. We started it in October when I preached a sermon on refugees, and you may remember that from Deuteronomy. If you're here, you can look, look it up. That's actually part one of this series, Refugees and Immigrants Matter to God. This Sunday, we're going to talk about orphans matter to God. Next Sunday, Pastor Michael Reich is going to preach on the unborn and their mothers and children matter to God. And then after the service, we're going to do a seminar with Pastor Michael 
after the second service. And then in two weeks from today, we're going to talk about persons with disabilities matter to God. Now, you all have different callings in this, so I just, I invite you to pray. What is your role in caring for the most vulnerable among us? What is your calling? How has the Lord called you? How has the Lord called us as a church? Let me pray. So, Lord, open our hearts now to the Word of God that you would guide us not just through my words, but that your word, spoken so many years ago, but still living and active today, would speak to us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. It was so quiet in the room. It was eerily quiet. You could not hear a baby making a sound. That's how Russell Moore described the room in this Russian orphanage when he and his wife went there to adopt their two sons. And Moore said, you could hear the babies rocking themselves to sleep in their beds, but they weren't saying or crying at all. And he said, he figured out they weren't responding because they had cried and nobody had come for help. And so he knew that these children were really moving into their sense of being in their new home, their adoptive homes, when he put them down for bed and they started crying. And he said, because they knew somebody was going to come. Now, I share that story not because every adoption is like that and every Sometimes birth parents, people can come from very different homes and very different experiences. So his, his is unique, so I'm not saying every adoption story is like that. But that story got to me because I think it cuts to the heart of the gospel. At Res, we say we invite everyone into a transforming relationship with Jesus in this church. How does that happen? What does that look like? I think we can sum it up in one word. It's the word adoption. Adoption is at the heart of our faith. The late, great Anglican theologian J.I. Packer says in his book, Knowing God, our understand, I quote, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. That we are all adopted sons and daughters of the living God in and through Jesus Christ. That every one of us has an adoption story in that sense. And some people have an adoption story in another sense. So I want us to think about adoption this morning. I want us to study it from the scripture, but I also want us to feel it. I want us to experience it. So the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans 8, chapter 5, verse 15, he says, the Spirit himself bears with, witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I want us to experience that, the Spirit of God witnessing to your spirit that you are a child of God. So here's my outline. Point number one, adoption is gospel. Point number two, adoption is mission. Point number three, adoption is gospel. Now you might think, wait, isn't the third point the same as the first point? Yes, it is. And Jana Williamson told me that's okay because that's a musical thing called a recapitulation in a sonata or something. Right? Yeah. Is that right? Okay. So we got A, B, and then A prime. So adoption is gospel. The root of the word adoption 
means to choose. God says over you, I choose you. I want you. I choose you. The word is used only five times in the Bible. But I think Packer is right that it is the, he calls it the nucleus and the focal point of the New Testament. It's actually, in a sense, it's the, it's the focal point of the entire Bible story, in a way. So in Romans chapter 9, verse 4, Paul says, he's talking about his Jewish brethren, and he says they are Israelites, and to them belong, and then he's going to give a long list of things, to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. So here's this huge line that leads to Jesus. And where does it start? It starts with Israel's adoption. God chose them to be his people and says throughout the Old Testament, I will be your God and you will be my people. We heard that word in, we hear that in Galatians chapter 3, and I'm going to spend most of my time here, so if you're going to turn to any verse in the Bible, I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. It's on page 954 in the Pew Bibles in front of you because I'll spend most of my time here. So in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, St. Paul says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. I want you to notice a couple things about that. First, it says through faith. So it's not just some kind of uh, automatic thing. There's through faith. There is faith involved in this, a decision to say, God says, I choose you, and we say, and I choose you too, God. I choose you back. That's part of what faith looks like. Notice also it says sons of God. And some people might ask, well, wait a minute. Isn't that sort of exclusive? Isn't that sort of, you know, Bible's all patriarchal and all that kind of stuff? And I would say, that's a really good question. It shows you're paying attention. It's really good. And my answer is, actually, no, it does not show that the Bible's patriarchal. Actually, it shows the opposite. Because in the first century time when, when Paul was writing this, only sons could receive the family inheritance. Only sons could receive the wealth. So Paul is saying, you all have sonship. In other words, you all are in that category of being heirs and receiving the inheritance of God. And then he makes it really explicit in verse 28 in Galatians 3. He says, they're in Christ... For as many as you have were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. I'll come back to that verse again. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So these people from different backgrounds, different ethnic groups, just different socioeconomic classes, men, women, they all can be invited into this inheritance as adopted children. So it's actually broader, not less exclusive. It's more inclusive. We see the word adoption again in chapter 4, verse 5, that Christ came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Again, that's men and women. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In the Roman world, wealthier parents adopted children because they wanted children to carry on the family name, f carry on the family legacy. 
to inherit the wealth and do something meaningful with the wealth. So these adoptees had to have a really good track record. They had to be fit. They had to be strong. They had to be smart. They had to be worthy. They had to have proven themselves. The good news in Jesus couldn't be more different. We were adopted. We were adopted at baptism when we had almost no track record. Just a very little track record. Just some eating for a baby, an infant, a little eating, a little pooping, a little cooing, a little burping, a little cuteness, but not much more. God adopted us when we were spiritually weak, and he lavished us with grace, and he forgave us, and he justified us, and he filled us with his spirit, and he called you to belong, and he called you to, into the church, and called you to serve, gave you a ministry. Again, this is pictured in baptism, and you heard it in the gospel reading. So in the gospel reading, Gospel of Luke, God the Father says this over Jesus as he's baptized. Jesus is not an adopted son. He's the unique and only son of God. But we are invited into his sonship. We receive all the benefits and all the glory and all the goodness and all the grace of his sonship as the unique son of God. And did you hear those words? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And in adoption, we get those words for ourselves, the words from God the Father to God the Son. We step into that, and we're in that now. We get that. We receive that. So Galatians 3.26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. All of you. The same love and affection that you see between the Father and the Son. The same cry from Jesus' lips now descends upon you. And I bet you can think of all kinds of reasons why that just doesn't seem to square with your life. And you think all the ways you're not like Jesus, all the ways you do not live like him, all the maybe the sins that you struggled with this week or this past month or this last year, all the ways you haven't acted like him and that you have so far to go and your faith is so weak and it's so fragile and so frail and it's so inconsistent, but it's still true that you are in Christ Jesus. In baptism, we put on Jesus Messiah with the same love, same intimacy, and we get to cry the same cry from his lips, Abba, Father. Chapter 4, verse 6, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The linguist, um, Columbia University linguist John McWerther, had this great article in the Atlantic magazine where he talks about how babies from around the world in different cultures almost universally have very similar words for mom or dad. So in French, it's maman and papa. Norwegian, it's mama and papa. Swahili, it's mama and baba. Filipino, it's nane and tate. Eskimo, it's anana and atata. You get the idea. I could give you more examples. He has a lot of them. It's basic prayer. It's primal prayer. It's from the heart prayer. Abba. It's sweet. It's intimate. But it's also the cry of anguish as well. It's the same prayer. So when Jesus is dying on the cross, what does he pray? Father, Abba, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, 
Forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's a prayer from places of anguish and confusion and pain and disorientation and oppression. I don't know where you're at this today. If you need the quiet, intimate Abba, or if you're like, Abba, I'm in pain, I'm confused. It doesn't matter. It's the same prayer, and you can pray it because through faith in Jesus, you've been baptized into Jesus. So adoption is gospel. Adoption is also mission. It's not the entire mission. It's not everything we do. It's a slice of what we do. But it is one important facet of the church's ministry from the very beginning of the church. And it's an important part of our ministry at Church of the Resurrection. So there are approximately 15.1 million orphans in the world today. That is five and a half Chicago's. 111,000 children awaiting adoption in the United States. That doesn't count the kids that are living on the street that haven't been counted. But there's a thread running through the Bible about this care for the orphan, and I'm just going to read you a couple verses really quick so you get from different parts of the Bible as well. So Exodus chapter 22, verse 21, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. We talked about that in October. But then it goes on to say, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Psalm 68, verse 5, it describes God as a father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. Isaiah 1, 17, this prophetic call, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. James 1 in the New Testament, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, we have a ministry at Church of the Resurrection, actually started out at Church of the Resurrection, um, called Replanted. And maybe you've heard of it, but Replanted is a ministry for families who have adopted children or they're involved in foster care. And it's a fantastic ministry. And not everyone is called to adopt, but I think everyone has a stake in adoption. The church has a stake in adoption. So I reached out to a lot of these people over the last few weeks, and I said, tell me your story, tell me a little bit about your story, and tell me what, what can the church do to serve you, to love you? And here's some of the things they said. One of the adoptive parents in Replanted in our church said, not everyone is called to adopt. Be really clear about that. This isn't for everybody. And he said, some families are called to make millions and millions of dollars and give most of it away. I said, I would like that calling, but I've never had that. I've never gotten that calling. <laughs> but he said, but God may call some people to adopt. So for some of you, keep an open mind to that. Pray about that. Second thing they said is, do not, please do not put a halo on our heads. It's not like we're some kind of saints. You know, we adopted because we want to be a mom and dad. You know, we're not super saints. We have struggles. We're just like everybody else. The third thing they said is, get to know us. Ask us questions. One of these parents said, ask, listen, and then sit in the discomfort with us without trying to relate your own story or fix the situation. 
I love that. Sit in the discomfort with us. That would apply to other parents too, maybe parents with uh, kids with special needs as well. Another of these parents said, although adoption is gospel, that doesn't mean that we know what it's like to be an adoptee. To lose one set of parents and then join another family can be a really hard experience, and there's nothing quite like it. Even as an adoptive father, I have to listen and work to understand my children's experience. I thought that was a really good word as well. Fourth thing you can do is volunteer at a replanted event, which you'll hear about in March will be the next one. Uh, One of these parents said, adoptees need a committed community of caring, connected lovers. I didn't realize how much alliteration is in that. Committed community of caring, connecting lovers pouring into them. I mean, we all need that, right? That's what the church is. That's what we do for each other. But I thought that was a really good word for our replanted families. So adoption is gospel. Adoption is mission. Adoption is gospel. J.I. Packer again said, there's two places where we see the love of God most clearly in the Bible. One is at the cross of Jesus. But God, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The second is in sonship. 1 John 3.1, behold, look, think about this, feel this, get this, gaze at this. Behold what manner of love the Father has for us that we, we all of us, should be called children of God. I want you to experience that today. Deacon Val had a really good word for me in between uh, sermons, in between services. She said, uh, just address the fact that some people, some people have what's called an orphan uh, spirit, that they just feel disconnected from God as Father. It's a spiritual kind of experience that they cannot relate to God as Father. There is no closeness. There's no intimacy. And one of my um, prayers for this sermon is that we would experience what Paul is talking about in, in Romans chapter 8, where the Spirit himself bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. I want that for you today. And Father Steve's going to say a prayer over you later in, that ser- later in the service to that, to that very end. Abba. Father, when you know that, when you know your sonship in Christ, your inheritance that you've inherited, you're you're a son with him, a son or daughter with him, you are home. And maybe you've never been home, never felt at home in the church, never felt at home in the Lord. I, I pray that this week, this year, maybe this day would be a time when you would come home to the love of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been away for a long time. Maybe COVID just wiped out your faith. I pray that this time, this season, you could come home, come home to the Lord's table, see and watch what we do at the baptism, hear the words that Father Stephen Godier will say. You are marked as Christ's own forever. Those words are for you, too, if you believe in Jesus. And maybe you've just had a rough week and you need to get regrounded, I pray that you too would come home. Gather around the Lord's table and hear him say, I choose you. And then say back, Abba, Father, 
I choose you too. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.